Father in heaven, we do thank you for the desire to praise you. And we have a covenant with you where we have peace with you. And that's the greatest thing, that, that we're not uh, your enemies anymore. We're not afraid of you anymore, but we are your children adopted into your holy family. Thank you that is an eternal family, that we have you forever. So we thank you, Lord, that, that you love us and that you've given us all things. And we bless you for them in Jesus' name. Amen. Praise God. Amen. I'm going to talk to you today about Thanksgiving. I I just really want to talk about that some more. Now that all the turkey and dressing and gravy are gone. Huh? You still got... (laughs) Wow. I was going to say we we can frisk each other if we can find some. We can have it, but mm, I won't go there. (laughs) Not mine to give away. I don't want to get hurt over the gravy. So, uh, anywho... But uh, I'm going to talk about the fact that Thanksgiving can save your life. Thanksgiving can save your life. Amen. There is something in the, the giving of thanks. There's a process. There's a spiritual dynamic there that has life-saving ability. And um, I'm going to talk about it. I'm, I have something to read to you as well. Uh, and it's pretty lengthy, but it's a testimony of someone that that put this in operation. I know you all know about Oprah's, you know, list of things to be thankful for and all that kind of stuff and I think that's wonderful <clears throat> as long as you're thanking God, you know, it's the source and the author of it. But just the process of giving thanks has a spiritual and a psychological and a physical um dynamic to it that is able to save one's life. 1 Thessalonians 5.18 tells us to in everything give thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. So the mandate to give thanks in everything, not for everything. You know, people are stingy with thanksgiving. I mean, it's the one thing, anything that has giving on it, people get stingy about Anything that we have to release, we get stingy over because we think of loss after it's gone. We never think of sowing it and receiving and getting it back. But I can tell you that Thanksgiving is the one thing that is the immediate, uh, the process involved in the giving of thanks has an automatic give and return on it. There's an automatic give and return on it that you cannot stop. It's a mandate from God. And so that's why the apostle says here in everything, every situation, every day, every situation, every minute, every every day, give thanks. And he said, this is the will of God, not the situation that you're in necessarily. But the will of God is for you to give thanks in everything. Never forget even in your darkest times, that God is your God and he is in control. And if you will direct your thanksgiving to him. See, anybody who doesn't want to give thanks because the situation is bad doesn't understand that God didn't make it that way. you got to understand that thanksgiving to God is the way to keep yourself in contact with God. But thanksgiving also has an automatic increase return back to you process and dynamic in the spirit that nothing else can duplicate. 
I mean, if you're sowing money seed, you're going to have to wait for that to hit God's ear and the return to come. And you got to stay diligent to go and gather your harvest. So there are a lot of steps in that process. But the thanksgiving process is one that is automatic. It's a spiritual dynamic that happens automatically in the realm of the spirit. And it has an effect back on the giver of thanks. Automatic. It can't be stopped. It will find you. When that thanksgiving seed is sown, it will find you and it has the ability. It is so life-giving that it will change your life. It will preserve your life and it will save your life. The word thanksgiving, <coughs> the words like thankfulness and gratitude. Gratitude is a big part of the aspect of thanksgiving. Giving thanks is what you do. Gratitude is what you perceive. So there's an inner perception that we call gratitude that leads to the outer expression that we call thanksgiving. Or saying thank you. Or saying, you know, God bless you. I, I appreciate that. That kind of thing comes from an inner spirit that we call gratitude. Now, what is gratitude? Gratitude is that gracious, the word G R A C is the root of it. Grace, graciousness, gratitude, they all have the same root. And that word really refers to unmerited favor. So gratitude is something that comes from God that we can't earn. It's just a deposit in your heart. So gratitude is the free gift of a deposit of well-being, well-wishing, of appreciation that comes from the Spirit of God. And it seems to be freely given and freely deposited in the hearts of people. Now why is it that some people perceive it and some people don't? You ever get in a bad mood and you... you and then there's some, some particularly just perennially cranky people. That just by humbug, you know. That kind of attitude and that just seems to, to pervade... I think gratitude is perceived when you need to express it. See, if it's unmerited favor and you can't work it up, you can't earn it, it's a heavenly deposit, then God must be in control of it and he puts it in your heart when you need to express it. You ever feel have a good feeling welling up and you want to tell somebody and sometimes you do speak it out and sometimes you suppress it and we've all been like that you know your mind will get a hold of it and well I just can't really say that and I can't really do that what are they going to think you know what I mean you do that enough and it'll quench the spirit of God or the spirit of gratitude to the point where it won't be as easily perceived in you as it is if you respond to it's like anything else that you sow the more you sow it, the more it increases in your life. And the easier it is to release it and express it once you get hold of what God's doing on the inside of you. 
So then gratitude becomes the inner deposit free gift of God that he knows you need to do something with that because he wants to help your life. See, He wants to help your life. And so God gets the ball rolling by putting that in your heart towards somebody. And it's almost like he puts it in there and your eyes fall on somebody who's in the situation with you and you want to give it to them. If you, if you think about it. it. Say for instance, you we're in the service here and there's somebody that you haven't spoken to or, or maybe you didn't get to give them a hug the last time we were together. And, and then all of a sudden it moved, you're moved to extend yourself to that individual and you do it. That's God telling you that I'm putting this in your heart toward this person and that's who it's for. It's for that individual right there. Why would he do that? Because that individual needs to have that deposit in them to affirm them and help them to get in an atmosphere and attitude of feeling appreciated, feeling validated, feeling affirmed. That's how love helps people to feel good about themselves and that's how love does its work among people. You got me? It's not a blanket religious thing where you just go hug everybody and get it over with. God actually does something inside of us that's meaningful. I can tell in the atmosphere changes after everybody hugs everybody. Then it's more peaceful in here. It's less tense in here. It's more of a God thing. Why? Because you've released something to one another that was originally not released to one another. If you pay attention. Come on now. So we're spiritual people, so we need to be able to comprehend these things and understand them. Sometimes young people, you know, young people go through different changes in life. They feel good about themselves. Sometimes they're hot. Sometimes they're not. Sometimes they're boy magnets and babe magnets. Sometimes they ain't. And so young people sometimes will just be stiff on you and you hug them anyway and (laughs) see if you can put something in them. Well, that's God helping you to let them know they're okay. You're validating people. And then they can catch on to this is something that I need to pass on to the next person, etc., etc. So it's it's a, a thing where there is a cycle of giving and receiving in that. There's, there's something in that where we are training our spirits to respond to the free gift of God and give it freely to the next person. So when you perceive gratitude in your heart, that's not you. That's not under your control. It's not up to you to quench it and say, uh, well, they won't understand or maybe this or maybe that. It's up to you to express it and let God do what he wants to do with it. See, these things are under God's control. So then the attitude on the inside of the heart is gratitude, and it has to be put there by God. And I think he puts it there freely in everybody. Because you'll find graciousness and gratitude and, and thankfulness across the board. Sinners can express it. Saints can express it. Everybody can express it. So gratitude is the free gift of God. It's the divine influence on the heart. It's grace. Thankfulness, then, is the expression of it. 
the word thanks or thanksgiving or thankful is from the Greek word eucharistio. Now, how many Catholics we got in here? I know y'all got turned on. <laughs> I felt you. Try to act like you ain't Catholic no more. I, mean, I sure felt you. Oh, I know ain't that he is. That's that little stuff I used to spit out in the back of the church. Yeah, that's you. <laughs> the Eucharist. Eucharist, the, the prefix E-U, E-U, E-U. <laughs> Uh, means good. EU always means good. Eulogy means good words. Don't say nothing about the dead if it ain't good, alright? So, uh, logo means words. So, eulogy is good words or good sayings. Eucharistio means good gift. Charis means gift. So, Eucharistio means the good gift. And if it's a gift, if thanksgiving is defined as the good gift, it needs to be given. Mm-hmm. It needs to be given. Thankfulness means to be in a good frame of mind. There's nothing about thanksgiving that's not good, folks. Okay, So that word good, get used to because it's all over the word thanksgiving. It means to rejoice. It means to be grateful and to express it. So thanksgiving is the expression of gratitude. The word thanksgiving also actually means to say grace at a meal. So our thanksgiving holiday really means to say grace at a meal. Thanksgiving also means grateful language to God as an act of worship. So there can be no worship to God without thanksgiving. The word eusuchio is also tied to eucharistio. P-S-E-U-C-H-E-O. Suke means soul or mind. <clears throat> so it means to be in good spirits and to feel encouraged. So part of Thanksgiving, when you give out the good gift that's in you, it transfers onto somebody who can receive it, and they receive the good gift too. So that's why thanksgiving is a cycle of giving and receiving that cannot be stopped. So when you express thanks, it goes out in a way that's translated properly into a good feeling onto somebody else. Always express it in its purest form. Don't try to damper it down or twist it. You got me? Just just as it comes out of your spirit, express it. And that's the purest form. 
Now, if if you think, well, I shouldn't say anything to that person, or I don't want to swell them up, I don't want to blow them up, and all that. You know, you have some people say, well, I want to swell your head, but you know, you've you've had people say stuff like that. People are crazy like that, huh? I don't want to, you know, I'm giving the glory to God, but you know, thank you. That stupid stuff. You got me. There's a lot of stupid stuff, and you've all heard it. And some may be guilty of having said it or withholding thanksgiving, thinking that somehow you're fattening that person's flesh up. That's not for you to decide to do or not to do. You know if you're flattering somebody or not. But I'm talking about thanksgiving that comes from a heart of gratitude. In its pure form. Now, you've got to have a humble heart to do this. Because if God is in the thanksgiving process, then God resists the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. He gives gratitude to the humble. He gives the ability and the empowerment to thank and to to get enter into the cycle of thanksgiving, he gives it to the humble. So if you perceive thanksgiving for somebody and your brain twists it up because you don't want them to get the big head and you don't want them to feel like they're so important, you've messed it up already. You got me? So if you're guilty of doing that, quit doing that. That's not for you to do. That's a, a pride thing where you you think you're God. You know, God put this in your heart. He told you who who to deliver it to. And now you want to goof up the message. <laughs> you know, you want to twist the message. So don't be one that, that always is wondering about the outcome of it. You don't want to heap too much praise on people. Or you don't want to, you know, give them too much or whatever. That's twisted. It comes from the enemy. So you don't want to get involved in that. But you want to give thanks out. You want to be thankful, you want to show appreciation, and you want to enter into the cycle of giving and thanksgiving because it's, it's, it can save your life. It's very, very powerful, very powerful. To yusukeo also means to feel encouraged. We said it means to be in a good spirit. So that's what you transfer over to people when you thank them from a pure heart. And you give it to them the way God told you to give it to them. To feel encouraged and to be of good comfort. To be of good comfort. So you're in your thanksgiving. Your your mind should be toward transferring all of these properties over to people. So if you're going to allow them to feel encouraged and to be of good comfort, don't diminish it by thinking, well, if I tell them something nice, they'll get a big head about it. You know, don't be crazy with this. Just do it in the pure form. So it appears that the act of giving thanks results in a feeling of well-being for the person giving and for the person receiving. You ever feel better after you release something to somebody? You know, like if, you, if you've if got Christmas gifts to deliver, you just can't wait to give that to somebody and then you release it to them and you have that sense of well-being. Well, that's part of the process of giving thanks 
It's part of that process. So you want to enter into it and you want to do your part in it because it's very important to to save your life. So I'm going to read you this this story. It's an interesting story. I picked it up last week. All y'all know I subscribe to a zillion things. Some of my <laughs> some of them I can use better than others, but I found this in the Reader's Digest. So you can take some notes if you want to read along, but it impressed me because it was around Thanksgiving I was sitting reading it. It probably is about 15 10 or 15 minutes, I'll read it as fast as I can. But it's by a man by the name of John Kralik. He's written a book called 365 Thank Yous. And he says here, it's two simple words, how the power of thank you changed my life. He said, in December 2007, my life was at a nadir. That means a low point. Our writers do. They have cute words for (laughs) <laughs> says my law firm was losing money and losing its lease I was being sued and I was going through a difficult divorce I still remember the lowest day December 22nd on my way to work I got a call from my friend Bob who had gone to law school with me he asked how I was doing that was a mistake poor Bob not good I said in a tone that was desperate and bitter Bob asked if I wanted to go to breakfast. Later, he would tell me that he had never seen me so upset. That morning, Pasadena was entering its famous seductive New Year's beauty with businesses and schools closed for the holidays, the small clears from the mountains, revealing just four miles up Lake Avenue from where I stood the fresh winter brush of the San Gabriel foothills, each ridge a different shade of misty gray. But I wasn't in the gorgeous foothills. (laughs) I was meeting Bob at a decaying chain restaurant near the dust and vagrants of Pasadena's downtown. Although the restaurant was Bob's choice, I couldn't afford to eat any place nicer. In truth, I couldn't even afford to eat there. The man Bob saw across the chipped Formica table was 52 years old, 40 pounds overweight, pasty and tired, with a terrified sadness in his eyes. After 28 years of working as a lawyer, I had little more to show than I had when I started, and the little I did have was in jeopardy. First, a pair of clients for whom I recovered more than a million dollars that year stopped paying me. When I brought this to their attention, one of them started writing me emails with the subject heading, Your Bills. Together, they owed me $170,000, which I needed to make payroll and pay Christmas bonuses, and maybe have something left over for myself. Although they could not agree on much else, these clients decided to work together to avoid their attorney fees. <laughs> they jointly ordered the money I had recovered for them to be transferred to Texas where I could have, couldn't put a lien on it. Then there was a the case of the sweet woman who had asked me to sue a gentleman she believed was helping her brother hide money from her. After my client gave up the case, it became apparent she hadn't, she'd had a brief affair with the defendant before suing him. Something about the way the affair ended, combined with getting sued, left this defendant dissatisfied with a mere dismissal. So he sued me for having taken on her case. When I sat down to breakfast with Bob, I had just put a retainer to the lawyers who would defend me, and I had begun the process of going through every document, every email, and every pleading in the case to formulate my defense. The suit against me was was a plain example of how legal proceedings can become a circle of hatred in which each vicious move is countered with an even more malevolent one until everyone is out of money. 
In my darkest moments, I worried that my client's ex-suitor's desire for revenge would not only leave me broke, but would also call my reputation into question, effectively ending my career. Seven years earlier, I had idealistically started my own small law practice. I had written a mission statement, which I shared with my associates. It included the promise to, quote, be true to our beliefs in right and wrong, both as lawyers and as human beings. I signed up clients at low rates outlined in simple one-page retainer agreements because I wanted to avoid the lengthy mumbo-jumbo that most lawyers use to cover their backsides. My fees were modest because I wanted to, quote, do no harm, end quote, which my father, a surgeon, had always preached to me as a foundation of his ethics. Unlike a doctor's care, a lawyer's treatment often does, in Hippocrates' words, injure or wrong a client. I didn't want my bills to become the client's biggest problem. But during 2007, I learned in a painful way that such idealism had serious limitations as a business model. When you run a small law practice, much of what comes in also goes out to rent, employees, insurance, and other expenses. What's left is your salary, so to speak. For me, in 2007, this salary was going to be nothing. In fact, it was less than nothing. I had lost $12,652. Clients had failed to pay nearly $400,000 in bills. I had worked 60 hours a week all year. My last vacation had been in 2003. My personal life provided no respite. After my second wife and I separated, she had remained in our, small, in our house while I was living in a small, cheap, poorly ventilated apartment that became an oven in summer and cost hundreds of extra dollars in winter because of inefficient electric heaters. Several nights each week, my seven-year-old daughter lived with me in this plaster box. In addition to my daughter, I have two sons from my first marriage, who were then 22 and 26 years old. During that previous year, my older son had become largely self-sufficient, though there were still occasional cash flow crises, and the tension from past calamities of this sort have, has left us distant. Quote, loans, end quote, had often turned into cash infusions, sometimes clubbing and skiing, had seemed to me to take precedence over gainful employment. Meanwhile, my younger son required help with tuition, rent, car insurance, and food. In sum, my business was a shambles. I was paying mortgages or rent for three households, my second wife's, my younger son's, and my own, when I couldn't even afford one. As the year progressed, there had been days when I was so preoccupied with my problems that I walked into the street without checking for a walk sign. When a car missed me with a honk of the horn, I wondered whether everything might work out better if I had been hit. I started to envy people who had heart attacks. I didn't want to exactly die, but I began to think about the peace I would get in the hospital room. When I shared this with Bob, he really started to worry. Quote, come on, John, it's not that bad, he said. Then he asked about Grace, the woman I'd been dating. Well, Grace had broken up with me the night before. We had been out to dinner, and when she asked about my plans for Christmas, I had been vague. I was still trying to make plans with my ex that would allow my daughter to be with me for some portion of that day. After I knew those plans, I needed to make arrangements to see my sons. After I had these arrangements in place, I tried to explain Grace and I could make plans. Grace concluded that this made her too low on my list of priorities. I can't do this, she said, and asked to go home. 
As I dropped her off, she insisted on walking up her driveway alone. I called up the darkened path after her, saying I would be waiting if she changed her mind. Even if she didn't want to go out with me again, I asked, could we at least exchange Christmas gifts? I don't want a present from you, she called back. And with that, the only door in my life that seemed to offer hope closed. Bob reminded me that he had my cell phone number and he was going to check up on me. Neither of us knew how dramatically my life was about to change. On New Year's Day, I took a hike in Echo Mountain with no company but the inner voice that kept saying, Loser. At one point, I became completely lost. As I grew more tired, I despaired of getting home before dark. I imagined falling into one of the ravines. If that happened, how would I survive the night? Then I heard a voice say this, Until you learn to be grateful for the things you have, you will not receive the things you want. I do not know who who said this to me. I could not explain this voice, but I knew it was important. I sat down to catch my breath and think about this before I continued on. By the time I made it home, I had walked more than 15 miles. I also had an idea. Every day, I'd find one person to whom I could write a thank you note. On January 3rd, about the date most of my New Year's resolutions had been abandoned, I wrote the first note, acknowledging the Christmas gift my older son had given me. Quote, thanks so much for the single cup coffee maker. It's perfect for my office where I can offer everyone a different kind of coffee with every cup. Nevertheless, I'm toying with the idea of just keeping it for myself. See you soon, Dad. See you soon. I looked at that page. What did I mean by that? When was the last time I had gone out of my way to spend time with him? Aside from major holidays, as I sealed the envelope, I realized I didn't even have his address. He lived on the west side of L.A., but I didn't know precisely where. He had a roommate I'd never met. I believe he had a girlfriend. I'd never met her either. I had closed myself off from my son in a way that was inexcusable. I told myself I had done this in part because he needed to be more independent, but I had gone too far. All children deserve to know their parent is there for them. Any good parent would know exactly where a son or a daughter was living. So I called him. Hey, I was just trying to get your address in my new system, and I wanted to check the zip code. Oh, yeah, hey, Dad, he said. Maybe we could go to lunch. This was highly unusual, but perfect, I thought. I suggest we go to a hamburger restaurant within walking distance of my office. We had gone to this kid-friendly place every week when he was younger, until he and his brother told me they were sick of it. Now we sat at a table made to look like a surfboard. After ordering and making our usual small talk, my son brought out a bulging envelope. He handed it across the surfboard. Looking inside, I saw a pile of crisp $100 bills, 40 of them. It's for the loan, he said. I had forgotten about this loan. I had no idea I had lent him so much money. When the overly cheerful waitress in the Hawaiian t-shirt came by with a check, my son reached for it. I asked you to lunch, he said. This was nearly as disorienting as the loan repayment. For once, I didn't fight for the bill. This was his moment, and I felt the need to let him have it. Then we started talking about some real things. He told me how he was enjoying selling real estate, a job he had spent a year learning. I had financed some of this, and he was repaying me with his first big commission. 
I opened up to him about my business difficulties. I explained how payroll and rent could consume the revenue of the few clients who paid on time. Even so, I told him it was fulfilling to be your own boss. He might want to consider it sometime. Recovering my equilibrium after this strange and wondrous visit from my son, I wrote him again. Thank you for paying back the loan. It was a great day for me because actually I really needed the money at this moment. More importantly, it built trust in our relationship. It showed me you were growing up as a man and that you could be true to your word. Love, Dad. Before that second note to my older son, I had also written to his brother who had given me a book for Christmas. On January 31st, he too handed me a repayment for a forgotten loan. So I wrote him again. Thank you for paying back the loan of $120. By being true to your word, you are building trust with others, and I'm glad to see that. I'm also thankful for the other positive changes in your life, your new job, the order you have brought to your apartment. It is gratifying to see. Love, Dad. By February, I was sending thank yous in every direction. I even sent work-related notes to clients who paid, to clients who might pay, to friendly lawyers who referred cases, to opposing lawyers who battled me, to court clerks, expert witnesses, real estate agents, loan bankers, and mediators. If I could find gratitude in such a sore spot of my existence as my law practice, that would be a miracle. But the events in January had persuaded me to try to plant the seeds of appreciation everywhere. If I couldn't summon hope while writing thank you notes about my work life, if yeah, I, I, I could at least summon, well, write them and wait and see. So what he's saying here is he caught on to the idea that this was something that was going to turn his life around. And he decided to take it up as a practice. It's good to do that. You see how sinners can catch on to stuff and we fight them as believers. We just keep testing God and testing God, but we know his word works. But still, you know, he says, over time, I realized how many people I had neglected to appreciate. One of these, most surprisingly, was my apartment manager, Mr. Robert. I suffered from insomnia, and although it, I, it was surely caused by my emotional disquiet, I blamed external stresses, the heat, the noise, the light, the cold. In February, I blamed the toilet, which would not stop running. I viewed Mr. Robert as an odd and rather spooky presence as he lumbered about. He always seemed to be looking at you sideways. He often knocked on the door out of the blue with his latest concern. Still, I had to approach him. Mr. Robert responded with a squadron of plumbers who couldn't find the problem, but when he stopped by to give an endless explanation, something he said gave me a flash of insight. I could stop the noise by turning off the flow of water at night. For a couple of nights thereafter, until I could latch on to another external influence to blame, I slept well. I wrote to Mr. Robert, Thank you for responding so promptly to my concern. It always seems a little ridiculous when the concern is about the toilet, so thank you for taking it seriously. With the water turned way down, everything is fine, and it is sure a lot easier to sleep. Best, John, apartment 10. The next week, a neatly printed note appeared in the hall just above the mailbox explaining that Mr. Robert had died. It turned out he'd had liver cancer and had been waiting for a transplant that never came. When he was trying to fix my toilet, he was in the last days of his life. 
I decided to go to his funeral the next day at Rose Hills on the smoggy east side of Los Angeles. This guy probably didn't have many friends, I thought, so maybe I needed to be there so someone would pay respects. I was surprised to find a crowd of over a hundred. He was really a people person, his wife said. I had misjudged this dying man. At least my last words to him had expressed gratitude. Later that month, my daughter persuaded me to adopt a cat. We found Brody in a pet supply store where a local woman who rescued cats had set up a row of cages. He really seemed to want to be with me, what my daughter explained when asked why she chose Brody over the other homeless kittens. I wrote to the woman who had cared for our cat before placing him with us. Thank you for fostering Brody and then working with us on the adoption. He is a delightful cat, extremely playful, loving, and affectionate. We are hoping to give him a good home that will confirm for you the effectiveness of your efforts to save him. By this time, I had written more than 50 notes. One day I could think of nothing for which to be grateful. I had been struggling for days with the lawsuit against me. That day, instead of writing a thank you note, I sent a lengthy letter to my lawyers refuting every argument and accusation against me in elegantly turned phrases. I knew from experience that my lawyers would only pretend to read this material. I pictured the meeting where they dismissed my memo saying he's way too close to this. I said I... I I had said that my that myself many times I had said that myself many times after reviewing similarly tortured writings from clients. Two days later, I lost my tenuous cool and mouthed off to the young lawyer who was delegated to ask me if I wanted anything else in the statement they gave me to sign. Nothing, I replied, other than the pages of material I labored over. When she when when she said she had written the brief. I had asked the partners to write, I demanded to speak to them. I could sense in the ensuing conversation how their patience was wearing thin. I knew what they were thinking because I'd had those same thoughts about clients, yet I was different, I told myself, because I was a member of that tiny club of people who really knew what they were doing. In my view, my lawyers were too proud to accept my advice. I was frustrated and depressed, thinking that I was probably going to lose a case that should have been won. But then I picked up my daughter, and as and as almost always, she was cheerful. She had a great day because she'd had her, vis- her favorite after-school program, Animal Invasion, where she got to meet the pet unusual. She got to meet and pet unusual animals. At my apartment, she practiced piano, and we had pizza. We talked that night about the things she didn't have that she wanted, including a flat-screen TV, which wouldn't be happening on my budget. Then I asked her about the things she did have that she wanted, and her face lit up. She talked about her cats and her dog and her stuffed animals. That night after she went to sleep, I left a thank you note on her bed. In the morning, I had to read it aloud because she didn't yet read cursive very well. Thank you for being cheerful and happy when I pick you up in the evening. Sometimes I don't have a very fun day, but when I see you and we talk about things and have fun, I feel better. Thank you for being the best daughter ever. Love, Dad. She kept this note behind the drapes of the window by her bed with some special rocks and a coin. I will never forget writing that note to my sleeping daughter. I had discovered something that made me richer than all the people I had envied. As the year went on, I would have... 
I, I would have my share of highs. The case against me was dismissed. My ex and I reached a settlement and lows. The economy tumbled. Staying afloat was tough. But I would never again question question whether life was worth living. I started paying attention when I crossed the street, even when the walk sign was on. No matter what else happened to me, there was something I didn't want to miss. Okay? All right. So that's 365 thank yous. How a year changed my life. So you can see even in the life of a person that doesn't know God, that that process of giving thanks and what it brings back into a person's life Gotta remember, there's a cycle of gratitude, and when you give it out and getting back, how it can turn your life around from bad to good. Even a person. Now, I believe that voice was God. Certainly, the devil wouldn't talk to him and interrupt all his thoughts of being a loser and all of that kind of stuff. And when it works to turn your life around and make good where it was bad with nothing, there was nothing really that changed in his life. His financial problems didn't turn around. His personal problems didn't turn around. There was no miraculous reconciliation of his marriage. There was nothing there that we could look to as believers as being answers to prayer. But something had to change on the inside of him before the 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 outer was going to change. So I thought what I would do would be to just give you some scripture from in and we'll talk about some of the places where thanksgiving is talked about in the word of God and the effect that it has on people because it's very powerful and it should not be overlooked as something that can can pull you out of trouble. It can save your life, it can turn your life around. It can make a profound difference and effect on your life if if you will let it work for you. So in addition to some scriptures that I'm going to read you, uh, I'm going to read you some quotes where other people have put Thanksgiving into practice and what they have to say about the value of it. Does that sound good? Okay, praise God. Now Psalm 95.2, in fact, about 30 of the Psalms deal with giving thanks. So you know that the Psalms were oftentimes read during the worship. In fact, they were put to music and they were made into song. In the charismatic move, uh, in, in, uh, in, in, especially in Western cultures, uh, we saw Christians begin to put the Psalms to music or scripture to music. And we <clears throat> saw powerful things happen in our worship services. And in the services in general, they seem to have more life. They seem to produce more of the good things of God. And God's presence would hover us over us a lot longer. So seeing as how Thanksgiving comprises about a third of the Psalms as a theme, it's very, very important to understand that Thanksgiving is a part of worship. In Psalm 95 verse 2, it says, Let us come before his presence with thanksgiving and make a joyful noise unto him with psalms. Come before his presence with thanksgiving. The Bible also tells us to enter the gates with thanksgiving in our hearts and the courts with praise. In Psalm 100 uh, verse 4 It says, enter into his gates with thanksgiving and into his courts with praise. Be thankful to him and bless his name. Part of being thanks, 
being thankful to God means to express it in saying good things about him. God is great. God is good. His mercy endures forever. God is a wonderful God. Those things, when they're released from us, have the effect of bringing it back to us again. So it's an automatic thing. When you release thanksgiving to God, he releases blessing back to you. He gives you a sense of well-being. He gives you a sense of internal gratitude. You have a sense that you're encouraged and, and you're of good comfort because it's an automatic thing. In fact, you can elevate your own. Now, see, this gentleman couldn't do it. He's, you know, he's not in the Lord. But when you begin to praise God, even in the atmosphere of worship, you'll notice that your burdens get lifted. Everything's, you're moved up because it's an automatic thing. So when thanksgiving begins to be released from your heart, it begins to pervade the atmosphere. Sometimes if you're not, say for instance, you're a fairly new believer or you don't really respond to things a lot. You know, you're not, spirit isn't strong enough to catch on to what's going on. You will, say you come into an atmosphere and people are praising God. And it's almost like something grabs you and it gets contagious. You know, you kind of can't can't not catch on to that unless you're just dead inside you know now you'll be in some assemblies if it's mixed and there are some people that don't know the lord or they're not spirit filled they don't perceive a lot but you almost can't resist expressing thanks to god or resist praising god or resist responding to that because the power is so strong in the automatic response of it the minute you release it, it comes right back to you in the same atmosphere. It's a, it's a sow and reap, sow and reap, give and receive, give and receive, a constant exchange. So it's as though God is standing in the atmosphere and the minute you let it go, it increases and comes right back to you. And you release it again and it increases again. You release it again and it increases again. And so this is how many times people will get healed in an atmosphere that's charged with the power of God, or at least your soul will get healed. If nothing else, that thanksgiving gives you such a sense of well-being that you can't hold on to concerns. You can't hold on to woes. You can't hold on to problems because in that worship there is the exchange. So always release thanksgiving to God in the atmosphere. Don't wait to be moved to lift up your hands. You can initiate the process yourself. Uh, sometimes people sit there and then it'll hit them and they'll start to get involved in things. And, and you know, you think, well, where you been for, you know, 15 or 20 minutes? You can be engaged the whole time. But thanksgiving and releasing the giving of thanks to God does that. It, it allows you to be able to enter into his presence at any time. If you have a hard time connecting with God or you need an answer from God, you start out by the giving of thanks. Father, I thank you. Lord God of heaven and earth, I thank you, Lord. You've been so good to me. I thank you, Lord, for what you've done for me today and how you blessed me. Thank you for my children, for my husband, for my wife, for my job, for all that you do for me, God. And then pretty soon that sense of well-being overtakes you and overwhelms you. It's an automatic thing. 
in the realm of the spirit, what you sow and when you give thanks to God, you know, you, you express that gratitude toward him, that inner good feeling toward God, he does it automatically. And I think he does it to encourage us because we're the only ones down here who can really do that process. When you think about it, the believer is the one who is the atmosphere changer. And so God wants to encourage even our little efforts toward uh, establishing his power and his presence down here on earth. And we do it through thanksgiving. Psalm 107 verse 1 says, Oh, give thanks to the Lord for he is good and his mercy endures forever. And let the redeemed of the Lord say this. Let the redeemed say his mercy endures forever. Because we're the ones who know it's true. People in the world don't know this. So when the redeemed of the Lord start to say good things about God, then God responds by coming down with his power so that he can rule and reign in our praises. He, he, he rules in our praises. He gets his throne established when we praise him. So I have a quote from from someone that says, Gratitude takes three forms. Number one, feeling in the heart. We said that. Expression in words. And a giving in return. So it's a process. It's a dynamic that has three forms. He says at first it starts with a feeling of gratitude in your heart. And then your words will express that gratitude. And then a return is given to you. Something comes back to the giver to replenish that. If you're a person who gives thanks and is a grateful person, God doesn't want you to run out of steam. So he immediately gives you back what you just gave out so that you'll be faithful and continue to give it. And you'll see that you haven't lost anything, but you've gained quite a bit by doing that. It's the humble heart that can can express gratitude. And I think that was the, the thing with the gentleman in our story. He was trying to make his own way in life and messing it up terribly. And I think by the time he got to the end of his second marriage and has got all these kids and responsibilities, his job's going down, he realized something ain't right here. So, And he humbled himself and obeyed that voice that told him that if he was not thankful for what he already had, he was not going to get any more. And that's God with the law of sowing and reaping that tells you if you are lacking something, you've got to give something. Man, you've got to be, and it it hit his problem right on the head because he was depressed and almost suicidal. And God says, if you will show gratitude, you know, what you need is to be, is a sense of well-being. And the way to get that is by being thankful for what you already have. If you don't show gratitude for that, you won't be getting anything else new to solve any problems. So the gentleman who made that quote, gratitude has three forms, feeling in the heart, expression in words, and a giving in return, was a Christian. His name was John Wanamaker. Anybody who studied business, American business history and so forth, there was a department story. He really was the uh, father of the first 
department store called Wanamaker's. They had stores in Philadelphia and in New York City. But he started his department stores because he had bought something in the major department store of the year. He, he lived shortly after the Civil War to the 1920s. He died in the 1920s, uh, right before the stock market crashed. But he was a very wealthy man, and he was a very bold Christian. He said that he had bought something at a store, and they refused to return it. And so when he developed his retail business, he had certain policies set up to keep customers happy. And one of them is that they will gladly return. That was one of Wanamaker's uh, slogans that they lived by, that the customer could return. Uh, if he wasn't satisfied with a, a product, they had a 100% satisfaction guarantee. And one of the stores that he built was in a uh, train station, what had been a former train station in Philadelphia. And it was the largest department store ever built. I mean, the Macy's and Gimbel's and Harrods and London and all of those don't hold a candle to this huge thing. And one of the things that he did was he provided a venue for Billy Sunday to preach. So on Sunday when the store was closed, he would have services there. And so he had the biggest evangelistic meeting ever <laughs> in the world at that time. He made all the, the store clerks be ushers. So <laughs> on Sunday he <laughs> came in and won a lot of souls in the Phil city of Philadelphia. So he was a, a pioneer in that kind of thing. So he, no doubt his understanding of Thanksgiving came from his understanding of the word because it explains the process perfectly. That there is a feeling in the heart, an expression in your words, and giving in return. And so that's, that's Thanksgiving or gratitude. Another quote says, to him your blessings with thankfulness so they don't unravel. Him your blessings with thankfulness so they don't unravel. So thankfulness causes blessings to stay in our life, in other words. They will stay in your life if you express thanksgiving to God. Another quote, no, no, no one is more impoverished than the one with no gratitude. Now why? Because gratitude is a gift of God, a free gift of God. So gratitude is a currency that we can mint for ourselves and speak out without fear of bankruptcy or spend without fear of bankruptcy. So this person has a sense that gratitude gets to be pretty abundant within us. So we can just print it out ourselves like money, like money you have. And he said we can spend it freely without fear of bankruptcy. So gratitude is something that you can anybody can give out. You were never too broke to be thankful. And if you'll start the process pretty soon what you lack will not be lacking anymore. You'll have abundance of it. Mm -hmm. Norval Hayes proved this over and over again when he began to thank God for abundance. When he <coughs> he had that uh, crop that, you know, he had bought some orange groves in Florida. He bought property there. He had a business that he found an employee was stealing from. 
and all of these these bad situations that that had no possibility of turning around were reversed when he started to thank God for what he wanted to see in him and what God promised. For instance, that that business that he had, he said he found out that um, one of the bookkeepers were stealing money from him. By that time, the business was almost bankrupt. And he had that uh, secretary that he would show the how much money the checkbook every week. I remember David Horton tells a story about this lady and how she would just explain to anybody there that he was a little strange. And so Norval would look at it and, and he would begin to speak to it and call the 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 emptiness a lie and tell the devil to quit stealing. He said, God, I thank you for this and I thank you for that. I thank you for lots of money in my bank, lots of money and lots of money. And pretty soon it began to reverse itself turn around same thing with the orange grove they had a frost an early frost that year and his grove was in the middle of a of a ton of other orange groves you know people just bought sections of property along this this producing area and and uh he said that he had driven out there and they said it was going to frost and everybody was going to lose their crop and he told the devil, I was not, I'm not going to lose this. Devil, you let my crop alone. Belongs to God. Father, I thank you for a full crop. And he said all around him, everybody lost theirs. And his was just perfect. And they picked it and he sold it and got good money for it because they were rare at that, that time. So he understands and knows the power of thanksgiving to reverse negative situations. To put plenty where there was lack. You give thanksgiving for what's there or what you want to see there. See, the Christian can do that. We can thank God for what's there before we see it there because we can call things that be not as though they are. And God hears it because we speak in his language. Thanksgiving will always reverse bad situations. It is very, very powerful to bring increase into your life. Remember when Jesus was multiplying the fishes, Matthew 15, if you want to turn there. Matthew 15. And verse 36. In verse 32, he called his disciples and said, you know, he had compassion on the multitude. They had been walking three days in the desert and with no food. And this was at one of his meetings where he was preaching. They were receiving the word in their spirit, but he knew the meeting was going to end. So what they were being sustained on during the meeting won't, uh, won't sustain them, you know, as they walk and go home. So in verse 33 it says disciples said to him where should we when can where can we get and have so much bread in the wilderness as to feed so great a multitude and Jesus asked well what do you have and he said seven uh, loaves and two fishes and a few fishes so he commanded them to sit down on the ground he took the seven loaves and the fishes and gave thanks 
It's what you say over what you have that makes all the difference in the world to where it goes and how long it lasts. What do you say over what you have? He took the little bit they had and said good things about it. I'll be glad when I get enough money to afford this. He didn't say that. He knew better. Huh? <laughs> Most of us live in a, uh, a pretend Neverland of you don't have no prospects of getting that money to get that. So why would you say that? You know, mess your mind up with a lot of foolish fictitiousness in there. Uh, you need to get rid of the fictitious fakeness in there. I told you, God. I, you know, I'll sit up and I'll watch preachers sometime, and I know God's gonna blast them. You know, when I start sitting there looking at some, listen to some of the crazy stuff they say. You know, some of it's spiritual, some of it, a lot of it's carnal in the way they look at the world's goods. You know, like Jesus said, in your life more than what you can see out there for to eat and to wear and to, come on now, life is more than that. And so he said, if you'd seek first the kingdom, he'd give you things. But people still make their high priority acquiring things. They're dis- distressed if they don't have them. They're upset if it takes long to get them. They're constantly working to try to have more and never have anything. So we need to just cut it out. <laughs> Life is more than that. And I'm going to quit wishing and hoping and start being thankful. You know, I don't care what it is. You got kids that don't need braces you know come on now that's that's a lot of money you can say god giving your kids good teeth good bones they don't break them they you know go to school safe every day doing it for years come home in one piece hello that's a lot man you know there's a lot of people that don't have that and don't make it so there is something if you will search your heart and search your life you've got lots to be thankful for an awful lot So anyway, Jesus tells them this. He took the seven loaves, the fishes, gave thanks, broke them, and kept breaking it. He kept dividing off pieces. And as the disciples got it, theirs started to multiply too. And they began to distribute to everybody. And I think everybody that didn't question what was going on, theirs multiplied when they got it too. Hello. Now I've seen this happen in modern day. Uh, there was a missionary man that uh, he was on the 700 Club. In fact, they videotaped it. And uh, they showed him that he said, we had one ham and we had invited people to eat and we were expecting more, more food and it's just one ham. He said, so we prayed over, we thanked God for it and we began to slice it and everybody there got a slice of ham. And they showed somebody slicing the ham. And the ham never went, just slice, come back. Slice, came back, full ham. Slice, came back. A couple times the ham got down, you know, a little bit and then came back up again. It was just like that. And so if you will take what you have, speak well over it. Don't ever speak and a lot of times when we speak negative, it's exaggerated anyway. It's never as bad as your carnal mind says it is. Uh-huh. And if we'll begin to bless it 
and speak well over it, it will be well. I told you what I said about my bladder. And I started when I would go shopping, I would have to think who had a bathroom on the way where I was going. So I could, you know, I'm sitting there. I said, oh, Lord. Huh? <laughs> Somebody was saying, when you're, when you're young, you dress for the boys. When you're middle aged, you dress for yourself. When you're older, you dress for the bathroom. Everything's got elastic waists on it. And I was going through the drill, man. I was on my way to Old Ladyville. Mm-hmm. Penelope Pit Stop. I mean, I was on it. And then one day I got myself. I said, God, this is going, this is going to get real in a minute if I don't stop this. Huh? That's from just don't care. And exaggerating. Huh? It was it was troublesome a little bit, but as I spoke about it, I exaggerated and it got worse and <laughs> not better. It got exactly the way I said it was. <laughs> so I stopped it. <laughs> Praise God, he healed me and gave me my normality back again. But, you know, I mean, sometimes you just get lazy about things or sloppy. Now, I know better, but there are some people who don't know better. They just speak to the situation in the natural like they see it because they just don't know. Or have never tapped into the power of of your words. <laughs> don't you like somebody prophesying over you and they talk ragged? I mean, you know, think about it. You just don't, you know, come on now. Come on, Barb, straighten up here. So, you know, you straighten up. So, but anyway, <clears throat> this multiplied and they had abundance. Always, if you don't have abundance, start seeking it, folks. Don't stop with just enough. Continue until you have abundance in all things. In all things. Don't just want a little bit. It says they all ate and were filled. And they took up of the broken meat that was left seven baskets full. So it must have been multiplied in people's hands as they passed it around. And, and you know, it started out with Charlie and it got down to, to you know, Cuz. And Cuz had some, you know, a whole bunch that he couldn't eat. So they gathered it up in the baskets. And they had one of the, uh, this one says seven baskets full and the other one says 12 baskets full. So they had more than enough for, you know, doggy bags. <laughs> on the way home so so that's what you want you want more than enough you want never to run out mm-hmm. abundance and and that's what you got to do when we have when we have meals here i don't run out of it i don't want to run out i'm mad if i i don't like to tell people we don't have any more hate it because that's a lie god has plenty it's just somebody didn't do what they were supposed to do in the managing of it and the preparation. So let's get real here, folks. Just cut it out. You, you got to think in terms of what God says he provides and you got to seek for that. You know, if I go back and we told somebody we ran out of salad and it's in the refrigerator, I said, what are you saving it for? That right, ladies? Bring that stuff out here and feed God's people. You know, we have too much. We know what to do with that. You know, but you don't ever want it to look as though God has not provided for people. 
You don't want that. Parents, you don't want that impression left in your children's mind when it, you know, when you raise them. You raise them in an atmosphere of God provides abundance. You got it? Don't care what you, you know, he'll show you how to make that real. But let that be an impression that they get about the Lord. He provides bountifully and he doesn't run out. So you just do that. So, amen. So, praise the Lord. Amen. We're all friends. Praise the Lord. But but that's why I do that. Because it goes against what I know God can do if we don't do that. And it's got to be established. If we're not going to do it, who's going to do it? And if we're not going to do it now, when are we going to do it? So you've got to understand that these things, if you will put your faith there for abundance of provision, that God will provide abundantly. So let's let's do this thing. We gonna do it. Do it right. Here's a quote. Here it says, "the The pilgrims came to America not to accumulate riches, but to worship God. And the greatest wealth they left unborn generations was their heroic example of sacrifice that their souls might be free. That's the greatest. You know, I mean, you can provide." material things but they'll perish with the using but when you can liberate people liberate their souls you can you know i'm just so proud of the people of iraq you know you you can't tell me that that country isn't better those people aren't thankful you know you the american press won't let you hear about it you know they don't go over and try to record anything good that comes about anything they're a bunch of ungrateful doomsayers, most of them. But you can't tell me that being able to elect people to govern you isn't a blessing and a privilege. And it's not for us to just keep that to ourselves because God established that for everybody. And if you can help people to, to walk in those ways, you, you can't tell me that's not a better life for those people. You can't tell me that any system where people have freedom and their souls are free, and they can worship the way they want. They can talk to any God they want to over there now. You got me? Because there's no theocracy. They have elections. So they can elect who they want to. And all that religious bondage and oppression is broken off of them. You know, they can go to school. Everybody over there can go to school now and learn and develop their minds and, and be able to be employed and have hope and have all that. You can't tell me that's not worth a lot. It's not worth a lot. And it is. Psalm 116, we'll turn there, and 17, it says, I will offer to thee the sacrifice of thanksgiving. And will call upon the name of the Lord. I will pay my vows to the Lord now in the presence of all his people. So here we speak of thanksgiving as a sacrifice. It's a sacrifice. Why? Because you have to humble yourself to do it. You've got to slaughter your flesh in order to show gratitude. That's why people miss the value and the importance of it. Because mostly in life, people are trying to take credit for something themselves. Not thinking about the author of it. 
you know, many times you'll hear people even, even you know, if you hear them in public or on televisions, you know, they'll say, well, well, God's going to help me. Oh, God helps those who help themselves. They don't want even, you know, they don't want God to get any kind of thanks or praise or glory for anybody, you know. Uh, I'm not helping myself. I'm trying to be led by God. I know I do the work, you know, and nobody's stupid. But God is the author of it, and he needs to be glorified for what he does. He's, he's the rightful owner of all praise. Nothing's going to man. But they want so to diminish God and exalt man that they'll make up some kind of saying that they want you to think is from the Bible. And it's not in the word of God. So he says here, I will offer to you the sacrifice of thanksgiving God sees it as a sacrifice that's why he has such respect for it because he knows it doesn't just come automatically you have to humble yourself and risk being you you risk what the other person will say in response to thanking them for something when you express gratitude you got me so we're talking about being thankful to God, but also gratitude as an expression of thanks to one another. You can thank people for what they do for you. You can thank people for, um, you know, hugging you or kissing you or showing you love or showing you anything. Any good good thing that people do, you can express gratitude for it. So thanksgiving is a God thing and it's a people thing. He puts it in your heart to express it to people so that 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 sense of well-being and that sense of goodness and acceptance and approval can can come on to other people. You can tell how important it is sometimes when you're around small children and how they respond when you give them encouragement. You tell them they they look nice. You know, Miss Rachel comes down every morning for her prayer, you know, before she goes to bed. I'll say, I'll see you in the morning for, and she said, prayer. So <laughs> she comes down and shakes a bottle of oil, so i got to make sure the top's good on it so it'll fly everywhere. We'll have an oil bath in there. So I'll tell her, I said, turn a little light on, let me see. She, she'll turn around. I said, ooh, I like that. That's your color, girl. You're going to have a good day today. You know, anything to encourage that and to affirm people. It says, I'm okay. And people need that on a continual basis. Good if you can be a self-encourager. You won't be so crazy about getting encouragement and do stupid things so that people can like you. But it's good also to give that out. So when God deposits gratitude in your heart for something, it is for you to share it and give it out. It will automatically increase your life and come back to you. So you're really not giving anything. But it is a sacrifice to press through your prideful flesh that wants to withhold. Your flesh wants to withhold because it thinks Everything's running out. It's not going to have nothing left for itself. And that even includes your words. Words that you could use to encourage people. You give out. There are times I remember <clears throat> meeting a woman uh, downtown. I was, <laughs> was there in court. I didn't want to be in court. These people ain't got no business suing me. I'm killing everybody if I get a chance. It's a good thing they all let you bring bombs and guns in here. I blow this place up. 
And I was in a very foul mood. And um, I think Cece had come down to pick me up or something. I don't know. He was down there with me. And I was standing. I think I was standing waiting for him somewhere or something. And this lady was standing. We were outside the court on the steps. And she was there for something else. I didn't even ask her. And I spoke to her. And she spoke to me. I said, girl, let me give you a hug. I said, what are you doing down here? And we chatted a little because I was waiting for him and so forth. And I just felt to give her something. And I looked in my purse, and I had maybe like a half bottle of perfume. And I said, do you like, I said, you like perfume? I said, try this and see if you like it. I want to give it to you. I said, God loves you. I said, that's why I'm hugging you. He loves you. Not just me, but him too. You know, and that kind of thing. And she took it. And I can remember Tony mentioning that to several people after that, that it impressed him. He said, I said, I want to do stuff like that. He said, because that changed her. Totally changed her countenance, changed her all over, you know, and and I gave her my phone number. She took mine, got to pray with her, and, and she was having a difficult time and some stuff. And and that's all from giving out gratitude, finding something in your heart besides your problems. It's a sacrifice. So you give out the sacrifice of thanksgiving and thanking God for putting somebody in your midst that you could have a conversation with <laughs> and is not talking crazy and wants to hear the word, etc., etc. So you can do these sacrifices. In Luke 22, and that's our last one, that's the Last Supper where Jesus was was about to die. And he gave thanks for the covenant meal knowing that he would have to give his life to make that real to ratify it so you can give thanks in your darkest hour even in situations that you know are going to cause you some trouble and going to require some healing for you in the future you can give thanks because the dawn always comes to people who are thankful to God God, this is a rough time for me, and I give you thanks that you're helping me through it, that you're the hand that's holding me. You're supporting me and propping me up and helping me to to get around people and be normal for the times that I am normal. Uh, You're able to sustain me through that, and I thank you for that, Father. So as a sacrifice of thanksgiving comes forth, God will increase and multiply abundantly through what you can do sacrificially to keep going sometimes if you just will thank him in situations that you know they're not your making you just fell into it bad stuff happens to everybody and and you have your share but if you are thankful for what you already have you have an opportunity to receive more to be thankful for so as you give out thanksgiving for what you have, even in a dark day, you'll receive more to be thankful for in earnest. Amen? All right, we stop. Well, Father, we do thank you for allowing us the opportunity to know you in a way where we can be assured that when we give out the graciousness that you've given to us, the thanksgiving, that you've allowed us to receive through you and from you, that it will increase and it will multiply and it will be seen in our lives in a tremendous way. 
We thank you for testimonies of thanksgiving and how it has helped people. And we bless you, Father. And we pray for this man, John Kralick. And we just ask you, Lord, to lead him to your son, Jesus, that he is the author of that voice that he heard that helped him so much. So we thank you, Father, for allowing us the opportunity to know you in a greater way. In Jesus' name, amen. Praise God. Amen. If you need prayer, come on up.